Hi guys, I'm Lux. And I'm Sam. And we host Killing It, the Crimecast. Every week, each of us tells the other about a crazy and interesting true crime case we've come across. Some highlights include... A countess who bathed in blood. A machete-wielding homophobe. Munchausen by proxy leading to matricide. Murderous messages written in lipstick. And a religious pastor being bludgeoned to death with an electric guitar. We both love true crime, we love talking about it, and we hope you guys will enjoy listening to it. So check out Killing It, the Crimecast on whatever podcast app you damn well please. Bye-bye. This episode of Martinis in the Macabre is brought to you by our newest patron, Molly. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre. Thank you, Molly. You have our undying love. Thank you for listening to the Martinis in the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Fancy pants. A fancy pants? I think I'm starting to be, yeah. How so? Well, I got to thinking. My deodorant I get from Walmart, which is nothing special. But my cologne, I order online. And I have Dolce Gabbani Light Blue, Amber Crombie and Fitch Fierce, and CO Bigelow Blue Elixir. And I get that at Bath and Body Works. I'm a grown man. Yeah. My soap I have delivered to me from Duke Cannon, and it's infused with bourbon and oak. It's a... Oh, that's my phone. It's like a $20 bar of soap. Yeah, that's a waste of money. Well, no, I washed my butt with it, so that's cool. Mm, yeah, we had soap already. He didn't do this out of neediness. No. I was like, ooh, Click. Back in my jeans, I could get jeans at Walmart, but I order them from L.A., from Rivet to Crew, and they all are nice and distressed and vintage-looking pants and everything. And it's like, why? Like, I, I looked at, I was looking at boots, you know, for the winter and everything, because I don't wear boots during summer. And see, again, I sound like I'm being fancy, like, ooh, who does that? But it's like, it's fucking hot, and they're leather. No, I'm not doing that. And I looked, I was like, oh, I wonder what's a good... Let me, let, me, let me look up a good Chelsea cut boot. And I'm thinking, like, why do I know that? Yeah. Yeah. Those brown boots over there? Uh-huh. Those are Chelsea's. Okay. Yeah. Fucking, why? What happened to me? You're a Leo. I have, I have a beard shaper that I bought from a company that's going out of business that's rose gold. Why? Why did I do that? Uh, why are you asking me? I have a why beard. are you still doing? It? I've been asking you for years why you buy this shit. I have a beard comb that's made out of pure sandalwood and the smell is fucking amazing. But people who live up in the mountains that have beards, they don't use it. Why do I? Meanwhile, I buy $10 brawls from Walmart. I think they have a word for that. I think I'm Am I metrosexual? Is that the word? You're a fashion whore. Oh my god, I am. Yeah, and a beer snob. Yeah. You're hoity-toity. I'm bougie. Ew. Ew. This is a, this is the podcast of self-discovery. Is it? 
I'm learning something about me. Evidently, this is cheaper than therapy, I guess. Although there is a beer that we've sold that's allotted to us. One quart costs about $200. I'll never buy it. Thank you for that. I'd like to keep our money where it's supposed to be. Yeah, like it's it's brewed in maple syrup. Because you're making it sound like we have all this money that we don't have. And aged in cognac barrels. That's and that's the trick, people. We don't have this money. 32 ounces cost like $200. And it's like, ah, I'm not. That's a, like a, you're going to go take a $30 piss. Why would you do that? I think I'm going to go back to my roots and start making my own clothes. I'm going to start churning my own butter. Yeah. We'll get this back. Do that. That sounds good. I've been, I've been really good lately because I'll see stuff on sale or something on clearance. I'll be like, no, you don't need this. This is not necessary for your life. Yeah, guys, if you want to support our Patreon so I can help pay some bills because <laughs> Billy's running us into the poorhouse. I am not. I Patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre. All I've done for the past like month or two is like just go grocery shopping and come home. I don't really... I've, I've eased you off. bought that $20 bar of soap in the last month or two, as well as the beard shaper. So who are we doing the episode on today? Yeah, let's get to that. Hi guys, welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. You can't deny that I smell delicious. Yeah, but I've told you before, I, I like that one cologne you got the best that wasn't as expensive. Sure fuck? Is that what it's called? Sure fuck. Stuff is great. Anyway, my name's Erica. I'll be your host this evening. I'm joined by my very pleasantly smelling husband, Billy. Sandalwood. Overspender, Billy. And the bourbon it's infused with is Buffalo Trace. I don't care. They make Pappy Van Winkle. That's like $300 a bottle for one of those. Everything does not have to be about liquor. No, I'm just saying. You're just saying? You know, when you really think about it, Oh. Soap and bourbon are the same. In this situation, yes. All right. All right. Erica, go. So, uh, we got another juicy one for you guys this week. We are actually going to be doing a two-parter on this one. Yeah, and we've heard that you guys really aren't... I know you don't like those. There's just so much information. But when I started actually typing out the outline and doing the research i was like there's no way in hell we can do this in one whole episode i've usually i research and have about five or six pages and this one turned out to be like 13 14 yeah because to be honest (laughs) to be honest i'm not trying to put erica on blast but this is the first time where a two-parter is suggested and then i've had to you know been like erica now we've we've asked them and they said no just do a straight burn this one is just there's just, it's got to be a two-parter. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. Yeah, so, but it's a good one. It is the first American serial sex murder of the 20th century, with a confirmed 22 known murders involving rape and necrophilia, which made him the most prolific American serial killer in history prior to the discovery of Dean Corll's really bad habits in 1973. Now, this is Earl Leonard Nelson, Known as the Dark Strangler or the Gorilla Man, which both, I had never heard of before starting this. Both of them are good, good names. Did he pick them? No. Good. Those are the best ones. Yep, when you pick your own, media. when you pick your own, they suck. And like I said, if I'm sure a lot of you have probably heard of Dean Coral, and I think his 
confirmed kill count was like 27, 28. So up until him in 1973, this guy was leading the way. He was the top runner. He was the heavy guy before Dean. Yeah, so and, until Dean Corll's murders were discovered in 1973, this guy was leading the way. He had 22 confirmed murders, but there are several more that he was suspected in, but they just couldn't find enough um, evidence to tie him directly to him. And someday we may do Dean Coral down the road. I kind of feel like he's been overdone, but we'll see. If you guys want us to do any Dean Coral, let us know. Um, but it, just know that if we do, it, it's a fucking rough one. <laughs> so Earl Leonard Nelson, his murders, the 22 and possibly more, were all committed all across the country as well as in Canada. And that's where he would ultimately be caught. So way to go, Canada. Good job, guys. And I do have to point out, if you were just to tell me his name, I'd tell you he's a serial killer. If you have three first names, you're a serial killer. I think they do that to just differentiate between other Earl Nelsons that are around. But even his middle name's a first name. If you have three first names, you're a killer. Okay. If you're listening to this and you have three first names... Man, get checked out. <laughs> this whole first episode, and this is why I didn't think this would have to be a two-parter at first. This is just before the murders. Because once I got into his childhood and growing up and the sh- cuckoo shit that this kid had going on, I was like, no, this has to be a whole part just by itself. Oh, is this a Buffalo Bill thing? Was he made a killer? No. Okay, good. I hate that excuse. <laughs> Earl Leonard Nelson was actually born Earl Leonard Farrell on May 12, 1897 in San Francisco, California. And his mother, Frances Nelson, was English and his father, James Farrell, was Spanish. Although Frances is said to have been quite young when Earl was born, she died when he was just nine months old from syphilis. Hey! Which she reportedly contracted from James. Now, James didn't last much longer than her, Dying just six months after his wife. I know somebody that has syphilis. You said that like it's a happy thing. Samesies. <laughs> Billy doesn't have syphilis, guys, I promise. I don't think. I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm pretty sure, too. You better fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> this test ain't come back yet. We're fingers crossed over here. Earl was sent to live with his devoutly Pentecostal grandmother, Jenny Nelson, which was Francis's mother. And he ended up taking her last name, which is when he became Nelson. You be a good boy or you're going to get that syphilis. That's probably what she said every day at dinner. Mmm, just like that, huh? And he's like, Grandma, Mom, please stop talking about the syphilis because he's a kid. And she's like, no, it's syphilis. That's all. That's it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if, if she died of tuberculosis, she'd be a ghost walking around right now at night. Well, Jenny was a widow, and we we just started, and everyone is already dying. (laughs) His parents have died, his grandpa has died, um, none of which were him, just to make that clear. Okay, to be honest, I'm starting to feel kind of bad for him. (laughs) And uh, she was still raising her two other children, Willis, or William, who was 10, and Lillian, who was 8. Wait, am I, are those his... Aunt and uncles? Yes. Okay, I'm with you. Yes, they were Earl's aunt and uncle. 
his grandmother was a devout Pentecostal, which, if you don't know, is a very strict, literally by the book denomination of Christianity. They're the ones with, you know, the females have the long hair and always wear the skirts and don't wear makeup. I thought those were Mennonite. Or are those the same? They're not the same. Not the same, but I'm not wrong anything about Pentecostals like speaking in tongues, baptize you in the big tub, and Mm -hmm. yeah. But Mennonites, those are Amish. Kind of. I think Mennonites can use electricity, but not for like TV and, you know, worldly things. But they can light their houses and stuff. You know what I found out about like Amish people and stuff? Because I've asked them because. I hate to be that guy, but those fuckers could build a restaurant like in a week. And they love to drink. And I've asked them, I'm like, so, because, you know, they'll come in and show you their ID. And their ID doesn't have a photo because it's not in their religion to have your photo taken. So it's a little blue block that says no photo. And you just have to take it. (laughs) You have to take it on faith and be like, okay, I assume that's you. I don't know if that's you or not because it's not a picture of you. And I asked him, like, so you guys don't use, like, cell phones or anything like that? You know, he was like... Well, we own cell phones. You know, there's a room in our house that does have a TV. We have a generator if we need it. He said, the thing is, though, is we don't let that, what do you say? He's like, we don't let that, like, barge in on our life. And I'm like, well, how do you mean? He's like, well, you could take a car to get to work, but you could take a horse, too. You don't need modern things to live your life, and that's how we live our life. If we need to, if, if it's absolutely necessary and we need to, We'll turn on an iPhone and we'll call somebody. If, you know, the world's about to go to war, we'll turn on TV and look at the news. But we don't need it. We don't Hmm. cling to it every day. And I was like, fuck, that's actually, okay, I get it. Hmm. I can respect that. Yeah. Which is weird. So that means because you see a person at Walmart with the bonnet and they showed up in a buggy and everything like that. It was like, well, they, they probably have like an iPhone in their pocket. It's just they're choosing not to... I've seen them at Walmart, but I've never seen them actually roll up in a horse buggy. No, they always use It's like vans. a van, yeah. Minivans, yeah. But we've... I, actually, I'm surprised for our little city, as many Amish as I've seen Yeah. in the Walmart. That's the only place I've ever seen them is in the Walmart. I see them in a the liquor store. Just the men. And usually I don't question the men who have beards. If the men have beards, I don't question their ID at all because they're married. That's their wedding band. Is the beard. That's why they just have a beard. But their lip, top lip is shaved. There's no mustache or nothing. There's no soul patch. It's just the coming off the chin thing. And that signifies that you're married. Huh. I'm like, okay, well, this is a married man. I'm sure he's of age. Alright. So that wraps up Amish tonight. We'll see you guys later. Thank you for visiting Billy's Amish Corner. <laughs> Back to the Pentecostals. <laughs> so, yeah. Jenny was... Very devout in her Pentecostalism. Oh, Jeebus. Oh, Jeebus. I don't know if I made that word up, but it sounded good. Cheese and rice. And uh, religion was definitely a big part of the family's life. But Jenny was overworked and already trying to raise two children of her own, alone. And she was said to be kind of distant and weary of raising a third child, you know, even though it was her grandson. I get it. It didn't help... (laughs) It didn't help matters that Earl was an odd and difficult child to care for. So, he he wasn't made right. Something in him was just... You know, maybe the syphilis that his parents had? I'm kind of wondering if maybe he had it. But it wasn't a, a nurture thing with him. He was just kind of 
cuckoo. He came out and just was wired wrong. Yeah. He would have periods of hyperactivity followed by periods of profound depression. He was. <laughs> You're describing my life. <laughs> he was said, yeah, that's me, except I'm not hyperactive, so I guess I'm just depressed. <laughs> I'll think to myself, like, I'm going to get home tonight, I'm going to make mozzarella stuffed chicken parmesan, and I'm going to make chicken alfredo, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to do a dinner bake, and I'll do stuff for tomorrow, too. And I get home, like, I just want to go to sleep and cry. Uh, yeah, I can I can have goals that immediately get squashed as soon as I sit in my car to come home. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that who has a job out there. They when they get off work and they finally sit in their car before they put the key in, they're just like, <sighs> you just want to sleep in the car. Yeah, you don't even want to drive. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I could be at my desk for hours doing paperwork and stuff, but as soon as I get in my car, which is also a seat, I'll sit there and go, oh, that's the stuff. And I'm thinking like. Motherfucker, you were sitting on your ass for like an hour. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> it's a mindset thing. So yeah, he had these periods where he bounced back and forth, almost kind of like a bipolar. He was said to have exhibited self-loathing and other quote-unquote morbid behaviors starting at a young age. He didn't follow rules of hygiene or manners, and he had odd habits. Somebody didn't have a $20 bar of soap. <laughs> a man named Harold Schechter who ended up writing a biography about Nelson, which was called Bestial. Uh, in it, he discussed one of Earl's mealtime habits. Quote, At dinner, he would drench his food in olive oil, put his face to the plate, and slurp up his meal like a caged beast of feeding time. Much to the disgust of his little table mates, his Uncle William and Aunt Lillian. That's fucking disgusting. Who's Mommy's little piggy? <laughs> oh god yeah christmas story <laughs> but like could you imagine our kid like we're sitting down eating like you remember that swiss cheese chicken with the stuffing i mm-hmm. make you know and maybe some corn and some mashed potatoes and stuff you know and then like picture noah just getting up like and proper too like excuse me excuse me let me just it gets a bottle of the bottle of olive oil it just coats it, and we're just looking like, what the fuck? And then just slams his face, and it's like... <laughs> and this was, he was a lot younger than Noah was. I mean, this is, you know, kids in that age usually don't want their food to touch. They don't want it to mix. And he would just dump olive oil all over it and slurp it up. You know, I'd say three Ew. words if I saw that. Ew. Three words. Start the car. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, Earl started being teased and taunted by his aunt and uncle for this behavior. No shit. Calling him an animal. Yeah. By this point, they were in their early teens, and Earl was just in early grade school. So he didn't really have anyone at home in his age group to relate to. Not that they would have anyway, because they probably ate their food with silverware. Um, we gotta talk to you about your your, your kid here. Um, he attacked a cafeteria worker. And kept screaming olive oil and beat her to death with a ketchup packet. Beat her to death with a bottle of ketchup. Beat her to death with a Heinz. Hit her 57 times. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, not that it would have helped uh, having someone in the house in his age group. 
because he had even more peculiar habits. He would often go to school in a set of clean clothes, but then come home in a completely different outfit that was usually filthy and worn down. He obsessed over the Bible, despite not acting as a good God-fearing boy would act. Every word in the Bible was highlighted. Yep. (laughs) He was caught several times stealing small items from a shopkeeper who would then call his grandmother to come and get him. All the other kids considered him a loner whose temper could be violent when aroused. And at seven years old, he was eventually expelled from Agassiz Primary School for being incorrigible. Yes, seven years old, he was already expelled. Incorrigible. At about 10 years old, Earl got a major head injury. That, that, Red flags. That, that's it. Yep, there it is. There's the head injury. Even though he was already f- kind of fucked up before the head injury. He's got three first names. <laughs> he had been uncharacteristically showing off on a bike for a group of neighborhood kids, even though he was kind of a loner. This was kind of his standout moment, and he totally fucked it up. I totally fucking <laughs> relate. <laughs> It was going good till you started watching. I did this really sick ass fucking bike jump when I was a kid. I lost control and I slammed my face into the family car. It mm-hmm. was a blue Caprice. And later that day, I went to the gas station to get some um, tangy taffy. Back tangy taffy. Remember mm-hmm. that? That was good shit too. And I was like, "Thank you." And I smiled. And then the cashier laughed at me. And I'm like, "What the fuck was that all about?" I'm just a little boy. I go home later to go use the bathroom. And then I saw myself in the mirror, like, what's that? And I looked, and I had blue paint in my teeth. (laughs) I get it. And I was doing it in front of my friends, too. I was like, check this out. And then, like, literally, I think it was, like, the first time I cussed. When I hit the ground, I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And then just, pow, right into the fucking car. Wow. face first. You didn't go around killing people, did you? Well, not yet, but. Okay. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. I don't know how I didn't dent the car. That was a hard hit. He had uh, tried to race in front of a streetcar, but the trolley clipped the back end of the bike, sending him flying. And he spent the next six days in a coma with a bad head wound, which one source called a, quote, hole in his temple. That's not good. Nowadays, everybody would be like, world star. They'd have their phones out. (laughs) After about two weeks, he appeared to be, quote unquote, back to normal, which I would assume means his level of normal. Because I would not consider his behaviors normal. Funny if the family checked on him, like, how's he doing? He's like, well, he's pouring olive oil over his food and slurping Oh, thank God. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> that's okay. But the injury left him with chronic headaches, dizziness, and some memory loss. And his behavior became more erratic, if you can believe that. Described in one newspaper report as a, quote-unquote, psychotic prodigy... Earl obsessively read the book of Revelation from the Bible and would underline numerous passages, compulsively quote passages to others, and was spotted watching female cousins undress and then apparently talking to people that weren't there. He also reportedly talked quote unquote smut. So take that as you will. Or normal. Talking smut. Normal talk nowadays. Or you're listening to Erica and Billy and... We fucking cuss and talk smut all the time, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I remember back when we had laryngitis, and I was talking to a customer about it, and she was like, oh, how's your wife doing? I'm like, it's okay, but when we have sex, it feels like I'm fucking Bane. <laughs> Is that talking smut? Yep. Oh, you're so beautiful. Spit in my mouth! Oh, God, okay. 
<laughs> I have never said that, nor will I ever, because that's just fucking gross. You would ruin everything if you did that. <laughs> You'd be like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go to the store. Fuck this. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> when Earl's grandmother passed away when he was 14, he went to live with his Aunt Lillian and her husband and dropped out of school. By this time in her life, having matured, Lillian had somehow become kind of fond of Earl, overlooking his eccentricities, as she would call them. And she would stick by Earl to the end, despite his later crimes. He moved from one menial job to another, 14, mind you, moved from one menial job to another and had a horrible work ethic. I don't know of any teenager that has really a great work ethic, but he didn't have one at all. You gotta develop one. He rarely finished tasks and often just walked off a job and never returned. Staying in one job for one to two months was a long period for Earl. And as he had done with his school clothes, he would leave home in his work clothes, only to return in a completely different fucking... Oh my God, he is you. (laughs) Wardrobe change. (laughs) These jeans, they were shipped from Compton. It's pretty cool, right? And by 15, Earl had a voracious sexual appetite, which what 15-year-old boy doesn't? But uh, he compulsively masturbated. What 15-year-old boy doesn't? (laughs) When that didn't do it for him, he started frequenting prostitutes near the Fisherman's Wharf or in brothels or bars. Okay, never mind. Yeah. He ended up contracting both gonorrhea and syphilis before the age of 16 and began drinking heavily, which... I would kind of wonder if maybe he already had the syphilis and just wasn't aware. Passed down from his parents. You know, going through the birth canal, a lot of things pass over. Just saying. But the gonorrhea definitely was something new. He would disappear for days while on alcoholic binges and would come home banged up as if he'd been in a fight. He still had a frightening temper and combined with the drinking and erratic behavior, Lillian was scared. I would. That's the best part of having gonorrhea and syphilis. The best part of having you'll win every fight. You win every fight. If you get in a fight with somebody, you just tell them, "I have gonorrhea and syphilis. Come over here and make me bleed, please. <laughs> Come over here and make me fucking bleed." The thing is, he didn't know that he had these at the time. He would not be diagnosed for a couple more years. Well, he gave other people gonorrhea and syphilis. <laughs> so yeah, Lillian was scared. I mean, she loved him, but she didn't really feel safe. And she told a newspaper reporter after Earl's arrest, quote, He was just like a child, and we considered him like a child. And of course, we would never go too far with him because there was always the fear of him, end quote. He had become physically fit and was stocky, which added to his intimidation. And it's reported that around this time, he would walk around on his hands or lift heavy chairs with his teeth. That is fucking weird. But sources differ on the reasoning. Some say it was to entertain others, and other sources claim it was manic episodes sprinkled in between his oppressive moods. I could believe both. Yeah. Earl still picked up the occasional odd job, but he also dabbled in petty crime to pay for his room and board with his aunt, as well as his liquor and prostitutes. Yeah, they don't take IOUs. Yep. He was still disappearing, sometimes for weeks, and he became more restless. In spring of 1915, while on one of his voyages... He was low on food and money, and he came across a cabin that he claimed he thought was abandoned. But to his surprise, the owner returned and caught Earl in his house. Compulsively masturbating. (laughs) He fled into the woods, but a posse tracked him down, and Earl was arrested. 
At just 18 years old, Earl was sentenced to two years in San Quentin State Prison for burglary. His two years at San Quentin were unremarkable, surprisingly. After being released in 1917, his patriotism got the best of him as the U.S. was slowly being drawn into the Great War in Europe. He wanted to serve, quote-unquote, over there, and enlisted in the U.S. Army as Earl Leonard Farrell, not Nelson, which I thought it was odd that his last name is Farrell and his behaviors. He's acting like I thought about that earlier, yeah. Strange. About six weeks into his training, he had been ordered to stand guard outside on a cold night. And he said, fuck this, and went AWOL to Salt Lake City, Utah. Because that work ethic thing. But although he was super religious, he wasn't Mormon. So he then joined the U.S. Navy. And I'm not sure how the hell he did this without being charged for going AWOL. Unless it was just too quick for the communication to get to the Navy. Or the different branches didn't communicate with each other back then. Or he was just using different names. I don't know. That's weird. Because he joined the military a lot. You'll, you'll see. Regardless, his stint as a quartermaster in San Francisco only lasted a little more than a month this time before he deserted. Because according to his biographer, Harold Schechter... The chores were just too much of a burden. Oh, man. That damn military just wants so much of you. I tell you what, though, to be honest, I can mop the fuck out of a floor if I need to. (laughs) I'm really good at that. He moved around the Bay Area for a couple of months again before getting into the military once again as a medical corpsman. But he deserted again this time. The victim bled out. (laughs) Because the, quote, burning about his anus bothered him. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Burning ass. Because I remember at work, I usually buy the toilet paper, but I had toilet paper delivered because I forgot to buy some. And it was one ply. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was fucking Shawshank. I'm a fucking (laughs) human being. I'm not a fucking animal. So I went to. So any of you that use single ply, Billy's calling you an animal. Maybe this is why I'm such a fancy pants, but I saw that and I was like. (laughs) Wait, no. Just use twice as much toilet paper. No, this is not cool. So I went to wipe my ass and my finger popped through and I scratched my butthole. And it burned all day. Ew. Yep. You washed your hands, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I washed my hands. I use hand sanitizer. But, man, burning and itching. Is good. You can't get away from that. I could see I could see leaving my job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see you telling my butt. It burned. You don't understand. <laughs> You've been here eight years. What are you doing? One ply. One ply. It's the toilet. It's the toilet rolls that are wrapped up in their, individually in their mm-hmm. own paper. Yeah. As soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, I know what this is all about. I know what this is. And I opened it and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was a fucking American. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I get it. All right. Burning so, anus. Yes. What, what he, are you gonna do? He had this burning. About his anus that bothered him. He must have sued that aching sphincter because he went back into the Navy in 1918. I don't know how the fuck he's doing this. This time, though, he became the problem. He preferred reading the Bible and prophesizing about the apocalypse to actually working. And evidently, he didn't feel the need to just walk off. He just wanted to stand around and read the Bible and tell people about the coming apocalypse. Yeah, I'd kick him out. Because you'd be like one of those things where it's like, hey, I need you to go clean the latrines. And be like, well, according to St. Paul. Like, what? No, motherfucker, no. <laughs> a psychologist for the Navy noted that Earl was, quote, 
living in a constitutional psychotic state, end quote. His behaviors got him committed to the Napa State Mental Hospital, where blood tests finally revealed the gonorrhea and syphilis, as previously mentioned. Now, I don't understand how the military didn't catch that shit prior. Don't they, like, test you for everything? Yeah, but, I mean, you're kind of just a number to them, man. It's like, hey, we're going to check, go. Then the next guy, we're going to check, go. So, they would have found it, but it would have been later. Yeah, a couple years later. Now, to pause for a minute. This is something I kind of touched on a minute ago about him already having the syphilis. We have to wonder if he was just fucking crazy or if the syphilis was contributing and or worsening his mental health. Syphilis is a virus and you can treat it, but you'll never get rid of it. It can turn into what's called neurosyphilis, which affects the sufferer neurologically and cognitively. The most common effects noted include dementia, depression, rage, psychosis, cognitive impairment, personality change, and hallucinations. I think it's a bit of both. I look at him like a person running a marathon and syphilis is Gatorade. What? Like, it's just adding to it. It's helping. <laughs> syphilis has electrolytes. Keeps you going. So. Or, or you're crazy. When you really think about it. Think about this. When you're really crazy and you're fucking psycho and there's something wrong inside your brain, like your your brain's not wired correctly, and then you get bit by a rabid dog, and now you have rabies. So, <gasps> that's all just on top of it. <laughs> or I could literally just go what you were talking about. Maybe he has mental problems and everything, and he has syphilis. Yeah. So there you go. I'm Like, if he just had syphilis but was a good person, or, or you know, yeah. however you I... would consider a good person, he would have... He would have you know, personality characteristics that went bad, but, like, if all those were bad in the first place, they're just going to get worse. Yeah, I completely, 100% feel that syphilis made him worse. I just don't know if that was the actual root cause of his psychoses. To me, I think it had a large part in his mental issues. So He's, with- he's on the Tour de France... And syphilis is the the brand new bike tires that he put on the day before. (laughs) Okay, so with that in mind, the psychiatrist who did Earl's preliminary interview with him at the mental hospital, Dr. William Pritchard, he noted that Earl had hallucinations and paranoid delusions, side effects of neurosyphilis. Quote, he has seen faces, heard music, and at times believed people were poisoning him. Voices sometimes whispered to him to kill himself. Says that if he were kept in jail, he would get something sharp and cut the veins in his wrists, end quote. Earl was also noted to have complained of occipital headaches, which is in the back of your head, and that's the visual processing center of the brain. Now, I don't know if that's syphilis-related or head injury-related or what. Or he need glasses. But that could be contributing to, you know, hallucinations. If he's seeing things, maybe he's just misinterpreting them. He also had many periods of dizziness and he even passed out on several occasions in the military. So, while at this mental hospital, Earl Nur- blah, blah, blah. While at this mental hospital, Earl earned the nickname Houdini during his 13-month stay at the hospital. He escaped from the facility twice, but was captured and returned both of those times. But when he got loose for a third time in 1919, the personnel said, "Fuck him," and didn't even bother tracking him down. Instead, discharging him from the Navy in absentia on May 17th, 1919. Uh, 
there's a part of it's like, oh, fuck it. He clearly doesn't want to be here, right? And you're just like, fuck. I'm not doing... Joe, I'm not doing it. Last time... I'm not going after this fucker again. Last time I sprained my ankle. I'm not fucking... Can't we just kick just, him? Just discharge just him. kick him out. If he's gone, he's not our problem anymore. Just discharge him. He's the world's problem now. <laughs> fuck it. So uh, they marked his file with a note stating he had, quote unquote, improved and was, quote, not violent, homicidal, or destructive, he end just, quote. He just saw a spider. Lie, lie, lie. So soon after Earl's discharge, he returned to his Aunt Lillian's and was once again taken in because she like, still loved him. If there was like a tribunal and everything, and they asked like the commander of the Navy, like the rear admiral and everything, he's like, what do you think about what happened with Earl? And he's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know any Earl. We don't have any Earl serving. Not a one. Not a one. They're all named Steve. <laughs> So he went back to his Aunt Lillian's and she helped him to obtain a janitor position at St. Mary's Hospital near San Francisco. And it was there that he met 58-year-old Mary Martin, who, in some sources, is listed as an administrative worker at the hospital and in others listed as a housekeeper. How old was she? 58. He. He. This was 1919, so early 20s. Okay. Yep. And you'll notice with in the next episode with a lot of his victims, a lot of them are kind of older. 50s, early 60s. A lot of them. Mm. They probably remind him of his grandma. His good old Pentecostal grandma. Lord Jesus. Syphilis, boy, syphilis. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be inclined to think that she was probably a housekeeper since he was in a janitor position where they had some kind of interaction so Earl, who was in his early 20s... That's my dream job. ...found that 58-year-old Mary was reclusive and had maternal instincts, which reminded him of his grandmother. And he was smitten. If any places know of anybody hiring a janitor, let me know. <laughs> the two began dating and swiftly tied the knot on August 12, 1919, just months after meeting. The marriage turned out to be a trying experience for Mary, as he quickly let his crazy slip out more and more. Mary seemed to play the role of domineering motherly type, while Earl's role was that of the disobedient son, just how he liked it. He continued to have constant wardrobe changes, from nice outfits and suits to shabby or inappropriate attire. His table manners were still atrocious, as were his hygiene practices. He rarely bathed, but one source states that when he did bathe, he had a strange practice of pouring glasses of water over his toes. right is earl white mm, yeah fuck well he, english and spanish he's he's caucasian Son but of a... dark complected would you have a is there a picture of him i showed you a picture of him oh remember he looks like the nerdy accountant type guy well just because it's spanish descent doesn't mean he's dark spain they're european no he's very or Latino. very much darkly complected it's his oh. description in many of the cases. <laughs> I knew it. I, I, the, he has olive skin color. The olive oil food thing. I'm thinking this sounds like a fucking, this sounds like some white guy shit. And then he has to pour water over his toes. I was like, that's it. He's fucking, <laughs> he's white. God damn it. Earl still had that insatiable sex drive as well and required release every night. 
Yeah, yeah, on their <laughs> Wishy 58. <laughs> on their plastic-covered couch. <laughs> if Mary didn't want to partake... She'd just give him $12 on his birthday. <laughs> then Earl would just please himself in the bed next to her. Now, Mary was a devout Catholic. And if you know anything about Catholics, they got some fucked-up rules. And I can say that because I was raised Catholic. But uh, she believed that masturbation was sinful. So she would lay in shame and disgust as Earl whacked it. Do you know why it's considered sinful? It's supposed to be used to make babies. Yeah, yeah. It's considered... Don't drop your seed. considered selfish. Mm-hmm. I had a vasectomy. So I could just run around fucking spraying walls. It doesn't matter. <sighs> I got nothing to give anybody. Catholicism also says that you can viciously murder somebody and come in and say some Hail Marys and you're forgiven. So... Anyway, this isn't about Catholicism. Cool to have that to fall back on. (laughs) Yeah. Within a few months, Earl's affection turned to possessiveness and jealousy. He couldn't stand her talking to any other men, even her own brother. And he would become violent, never hitting her, but hitting and throwing objects around. Compounding his descent into craziness were the chronic migraines he suffered that nothing could relieve. During one migraine he had at work... Earl fell off a ladder and bounced his head off the ground, knocking him out cold. I don't know what made me think of this, but I'm going to go ahead and say this since Sage is drinking water and clearly making noise. That, you know, like, there's boyfriends that get really fucking jealous of women talking to men mm-hmm. and everything. And I, <laughs> I thought of Shawshank Redemption when Brooks was at the grocery store. Make sure he double bags it. Last time he didn't double bag it. And, the, you know, the groceries something fell out the bottom. And all that stuff, you know. And then, like, he's there, and he's like, who's 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 your special fucking friend there? Huh? Who are you talking to? You got something fucking say? And then he starts throwing baked beans everywhere. <laughs> Is he prettier than me? I actually, we're we're recording this before we record our um, June Patreon episode, and, and there will be a story with some baked beans involved. Oh, thank God. So, it made me think of that. So, now he's had two major head injuries. He was admitted to the hospital, but left AMA just two days later with bandages still wrapped around his head. The second round of head injuries may have just tipped the scales into full-on crazy for Earl. He soon began to hear voices and see visions, usually of a religious nature. His paranoia increased as well as his aggressiveness. Mary started to actually fear him and decided she was over his shit. He wanted to move away, and Mary refused to go with him. So, Earl left on his own, rageful and brooding over his wife's rejection. Earl decided May 19, 1921, to try a little murder on for size. He posed as a plumber sent to fix a gas leak at the home of Charles Summer. Did plumbers actually work on gas lines in the 20s? Maybe back I was then. Like they wondering don't now. This. I, well, I don't know, because you would call, like, a plumbing... Maybe it's the piping? Like, you would call a plumbing... Like nowadays, you call a plumbing company, but they don't necessarily send a plumber. They send, like, an HVAC technician because he works for that company. Kind of like Roto-Rooter. You have the plumbers, you have the HVAC technicians, and you have whatever that come and do it. I don't think they'll send a plumber. Yeah, to, I, I don't know. I thought that was strange, but evidently, he thought this was a good enough ruse... To grant him entrance into this house. How did he know there was a gas leak? Or did he just he come didn't. to the door and say, I'm here to fix he, your gas leak? He posed as a plumber and came up to the house and was like, yeah, I was sent here to check on your gas leak. So, uh, this was the house of Charles Summer, as I said. 
and his children, 24-year-old Charles Jr. and 12-year-old Mary, were at home at the time. And Charles Jr. let Earl in. So evidently, he thought it was a good enough story to grant Earl access. Oh, it's easy. Hey, look, look. Say you're the guy, right? I'm, I'm the guy. I'm Earl. God, you're great. Yep. I'm here to fix your gas leak. Not that. Oh. I'm here to fix your gas leak. Okay. I didn't know he had a gas leak. Well, that's how they get you. <laughs> See? In. You're in. <laughs> Can you smell your gas leak? No. Exactly. <laughs> Time is of the essence. I need to get in there. Yeah, so he let Earl right in. And 12-year-old Mary was playing in the basement, which is where he was directed to do his work. Because the furnaces were usually in the basement. And kids play in basements, I guess. Now, the sources I researched said it's not... (laughs) What? Dad, I'm going to go play in the basement. Yeah, you're creepy as fuck, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, the sources that I looked at said it wasn't real clear if Earl knew Mary was there. But I would have to think that he did if he knowingly lied to get entry into the house. I mean, what other reason would there be for wanting to get in the house... I don't think... I mean, it could have been that she wasn't his objective. Maybe he just wanted to try it on for size and see what killing a per. Maybe he was just there to try out killing a person and not necessarily a child or anything like that. Well, once he was alone in the basement with Mary, he quickly attacked. He attempted to molest and strangle her, but uh, Mary wasn't taking her old shit either and fought back. Her screams were heard by her brother, who, of course, bounded towards the basement, meeting Earl head-on as he tried to escape. Earl managed to push Charles Jr. out of the way and ran out of the house, but with Charles Jr. in hot pursuit. The two fought in the street, but Earl managed to ring Charles's bell and left him lying on the ground as he managed to run off between the houses. That's dangerous. You knock a guy out, that's dangerous. Yep. Earl's first attempt at murder had failed, but he had gotten away. His escape was short-lived, though, as authorities found him riding a trolley two hours later. It's kind of a medical tip for you guys. When you watch, like... World Star, or you watch YouTube or any video on Facebook where it shows a guy just knocking to do that with one punch, and the guy just walks away, and that guy's laying there, and his arms are still kind of moving mm-hmm. really slow, and he's looking around. Get him up. You have to wake him up because that's really dangerous. If they're Every- not already dying, <laughs> everybody's already like everybody already just run up and they're like got their fucking iPhones out filming him, and it's like there's always that one guy's like get him up. Yeah, that'd yeah. be me. That snoring sound you're hearing isn't normal. Yeah. <laughs> Although, whenever I watch those videos, I'm like, good hit, bro. Yeah. Got him. <laughs> so, in his arrest photos, which you can actually find online, you can clearly see multiple scrapes and cuts on his face. Good so, job, Charles Jr. Well, I kind of wondered if the brother caused him or if the police did, because I'm betting the police roughed him up a bit. I'm willing to bet Charles Jr. got up whenever he woke up and remembered his name in math, <laughs> got in the house and told his dad, like, you know what? Don't answer the fucking door ever again for the rest of your goddamn life. I'll fucking do it. I'm going to go take care of my sister. You know, the person you couldn't take care of that you sent to the basement, you fuck. No, it was the son that answered the door. The dad wasn't home. Oh, my bad. Yeah, it was the brother and sister at home. And the brother let him in. Oh, so he should have been like... Stupid me. Dad, can you answer the door for now? I'm not going to answer the door no more. (laughs) You shouldn't trust me with stranger he got home from work he was like how's everything going kids it's like oh, dad i fucked up <laughs> i just woke up 20 minutes ago in the street 
Well, uh, Earl's insanity didn't stop while he was jailed. His first night locked up, he plucked out both of his eyebrows, every hair, with his own fingernails. Well, when you're bored, you're bored. (laughs) And he yelled the whole night about seeing faces on the walls. That bored him? Well, we don't have... They didn't have Candy Crush back then. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, because of this, he was transferred to the hospital for a psych eval, and his wife was finally reached and notified of his arrest and transfer. Now, when she came to see him, he was wearing a straight jacket and tied down to a bed, still complaining about the watchful faces on the walls. I'd be complaining about how my balls itch. Can somebody please, (laughs) you know? It was only then that Mary learned about Earl's past. The prison record, the military desertions, and his prior psychological hospitalization. And she's fucking drinking water. It was only then that Mary learned about Earl's past. The prison record, the military desertions, and his prior psychological hospitalization. Despite fearing him and finding out about his past, she stuck by him. What's her name? Mary. Mary's a fucking retard. (laughs) She stuck by him, moving forward with involuntary hospitalization in an attempt to keep him from going to prison. After a month of treatment, Earl went before a judge in a hearing on his competency. The psychiatrist that had been overseeing his care wrote that he was, quote, apathetic, eccentric, noisy, destructive, and incendiary, and warned that he was, quote, restless, violent, dangerous, excited, and depressed. They stated specifically that he was a danger to wife and self. Their final conclusion was that Earl was, quote, so far disordered in his mind to endanger health and person that the judge signed a commitment order marking that Earl was, quote, dangerous to be at large. Yep. I'd be, I would do the same shit. Like, if I got caught and they wanted to, like, you know, test my competent, mental competence on trial, this is going to be the first time anybody ever sees me eat my own turd. (laughs) So gross. They're going to know. Like, I'll be like, okay, I really got to church this shit up. And they're like, why is your nose broken? I'm like, I had to smash it on the wall because I loved it and I wanted to kiss the wall. Why is your shoulder broken? Straight jacket made me feel funny. Why does your breast smell like shit? I ate shit. And they're like, okay, well, clearly he's not right in his fucking head. (laughs) Well, he was immediately sent back to Napa State Hospital, the same place he had earned the nickname Houdini years before for his escapes. It'd be funny if like he walked back in there in a straight jacket, you know, or Hannibal Lecter style on a trolley. Hey guys, what's up? They're Long like, time no see. Hey Houdini, yeah, I'm back <laughs> for a while. <laughs> now you see me. Now I eat my poop. Woo! <laughs> back in the hospital, Earl was diagnosed as a constitutional psychopath with outbreaks of psychosis. And it was said that he suffered from nomadic dementia, meaning he desired escaping, and is probably why he would disappear all the time in his earlier life. I thought just you he know, fucking hated it there. And, and escaping leave. the hospital that he was now sent back to. Pretty hard <laughs> to escape a hospital because you're running down the street in a white gown. Well, this time the staff wouldn't let Earl roam the grounds without restraints. Or don't let him roam the fucking grounds. He tried to escape twice in just the first two weeks he was there, but he never made it outside. So while he was there, he was treated with an anti-syphilis drug called Salverson, and he seemed to improve a little. In his first year of commitment, Earl became cooperative and was able to have normal conversations and could perform menial tasks. 
He still had a streak of religious mania, telling his doctor on Christmas in 1921 that he felt, quote, a blessing on him. He still made a few lazy attempts at escape, but was like not wholehearted. Staff kind of just started to trust him more and would let him go in some areas without shackles or restraints because he wasn't really trying to get out. That's how it starts. Yup. The very next year, about 18 months into his hospitalization, though, things started going downhill. He grew agitated and restless and began to refuse the Salverson treatments that seemed to be helping him. He was so religious. He was like, Jesus wants me to be crazy. (laughs) And he flat out warned his doctors that he was planning to escape. And even though he (laughs) flat out told them he was going to run, they must not have taken increased measures to stop him because that's exactly what he did on November 2nd of 1923. Doctor, what are you doing next Thursday? I'm going to have, you know, probably go home and have dinner with wife and kids. Nope. Sorry, doctor, you're not. Oh, I'm not. Please elaborate, Earl. What am I doing? (laughs) Oh, you're part of a search party. Watch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Earl ended up back at good old Aunt Lillian's house in the middle of the night. Her later quote to the papers about his return was, quote, He had his face right against the glass with a horrible, crazy hat on, and I let out one terrible scream because he looked so awfully insane. You don't say. His eyes were just black, glaring at me, and the children rushed up to me, and of course I opened the door because he was of my own flesh and kin. I loved him. No, he scared the shit out of you. You said he looked crazy. He's got black eyes. Don't fucking open the door. There you go. So, although she... What you cooking, Lillian? (laughs) (laughs) Although she claimed to be scared of him, she opened the door for him, and then gave Earl some of her husband's clothes to wear and urged him to flee, as it wasn't safe for him to stay there because she knew the authorities would come there looking for him. So he agreed and he took off, and it was only then that Lillian called the authorities and the hospital. So Earl fled, but for some reason he stayed in San Francisco, you know, where they were looking for him, and he was captured there two days later. He was brought back to the hospital where he remained for another 16 months. The source that I got the most information about his hospitalization from claims that no further entries were made in his record, but that seems highly unlikely. Either they were lost or someone deliberately lost them, possibly to cover up his probable lack of rehabilitation and they didn't want to look like jackasses for releasing him. The source claims that the only note in his file read, Quote, discharged as improved. I'm not buying that, especially since the worst of the worst is to come. In part two! Part dos. What's, what's French? From our, for, for, for our listener, what, what? Amelia? Amelia. Amelia. De. De. Un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq, six, sept, huit, neuf, dix. Amelia. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the crazy early life of this fucking insane guy. I'd never even heard of him. I just came across him and I was like, okay, we got to do this. So next one is going to be a little more grim. It's going to cover all the murders and the things he did. And it's going to be a little bit harder to listen to. But that's kind of how it had to be to go in chronological order because... Shit gets a whole lot worse from here. (laughs) You're going to want to listen to it because we said earlier necrophilia. 
Yeah. You're going to listen. Yep. That, that'll be your, your catching phrase right there. I like it when they lie still. Ew. <laughs> All right, guys. So thanks for listening to this episode. Thanks for sticking with us. Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear the finale of Earl Nelson and all about his depraved killing spree. And if you liked what you heard, please, 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 if nothing else, get on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps with the visibility of the show and the algorithm that iTunes uses, and it makes us easier to find. We know it can be a pain in the ass, but we would really appreciate it. And even though somebody doesn't like our fart jokes, I know a lot of you guys do. So counteract that hate with some love and a five-star review for Billy's sake. Uh, so, yeah, and while you're at that, please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network and show them some love. You can find all of us there at murder.ly. We just today, I found out, added Dark Poutine, which is amazing to me. I'm like fangirling. Um, so, yeah, get on Murderly, check everyone out, and then you can follow us and love us and like us and retweet us and all that jazz. $20 bar of soap. That's what I'm working with. <laughs> please help me. <laughs> if you would like to support the show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even a dollar gets you access to our patron-only audio each month. And like I just said, we're recording one right after this. And for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kate, Hunter, Cooper, and Bridget. You guys have our undying love. We would really love to have more patrons and to share our undying love with you in a loving way. But until then, you're getting all of our love, whether you <laughs> fucking like it or not. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis in the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. And be sure to join our fan page on Facebook as well as friends who like Martinis in the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys and feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and to share our posts. We really love seeing the interaction between everybody and, you know, getting to know everyone. Visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com to learn a little about us. Listen to our complete episode catalog, which you can also find on the Murderly website as well. And you can listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah on our website that we use at the end of each episode. And keep listening because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find his first official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. All the the links and buttons and clicks and all that stuff, they're on the website, so you can find him there. For any questions, comments, topics, suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com or you can use the contact page on the website. And please check out Killing It, the Crime Cast, who you heard in the promo before the show. They're hilarious. They're a member of our uh, network family now. We think you guys will really like them. So once again, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.
That's the best part of having gonorrhea and syphilis. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.